Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This month is brought to you by the Ghoulish Knights of Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. Without them and their decision to support the show financially, we would not be here today producing this content. If you would like to have your name shouted out on next month's theme, or just simply want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod to learn more. Special shout out goes to Michelle, Father Metza, Alondra, Allie, Taya, Alyssa, Allison, also known as Stormy Knight, also known as our community manager, Joel, James, Kate, Kayla, Philip, Zachary, Nashia, Frank, Vaughn, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, C, also known as T with Knight, also known as our social media and marketing manager. David, also known as Knightley, Carrie, Anna, Drew, also known as Silent Knight, Patrick, uh, Willow, Jessica, Chantal, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and Freddie. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Don't forget your nightlight and enjoy the show. Take this. You need it as you traverse through scenes of inexplicable horrors. But don't worry, there's a couple of brave knights to assist you ghouls in the afterlife. Your tour guides, Prince and Freddy, will ensure you don't leave with any missing limbs, demonically possessed, stalked by a masked killer, or devoured by cannibals. So, hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelop you as we welcome you to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm Prince, also known as Head Knight. I'm Freddy, also known as Nighty Knight. And this month is going to be all about reboots. But before we even get to all of that, Hopefully you all enjoyed this brand new intro for the show. Shout out to Shelby Scott for giving us this intro. It's absolutely amazing. So it's good. Bone chilling. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he was chills the first time I heard it. So good. Good, God, uh, good shout out to Shelby. She absolutely crushed it. Yes, absolutely crushed it. Fucking hell. Like she did amazing. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that, but that is the new intro officially. But yes, <laughs> season five, this is our fifth year running this show, and we are going to do things a tad bit different. Obviously, the content itself is going to be the same. However, there are going to be some different things going on with the show. That intro was one of them. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that just as much as we do as well. But 
This month is all about remakes and reboots, and this month is coined, Was This Necessary? (laughs) (laughs) Great theme. I'm excited to talk about these movies. Uh, Me too. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm stoked. I am so incredibly stoked for this. Um, So the first film that is going to be on our list this evening is Evil Dead 2013. Y'all motherfuckers knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew it was coming after I was talking all that shit on Evil Dead Rise. No offense to it. It was on my top 15. Stop hating on me. But you knew it was coming. I had to definitely right. make my name right and discuss this movie in more detail. So let's just get right into it with first and foremost, Freddie, thoughts. Well, we had to start the new year with a bang. I think Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead 2013 is also my favorite from the franchise. Yes. I think this brings all of like um the horror aspects that we really wanted from the Evil Dead franchise. Uh, a lot of it was uh, a little tongue in cheek in the beginning, a little bit more comedic, a little bit more bonkers, a little bit more chaotic and kind of Evil Dead Rise, which I do love as well and that was also my top list. Yeah. Is that I kind of blended the silliness and also the horror aspect of how scary it could be, but Evil Dead 2013 is just pure horror. It is and it does it so about it. so damn well. Yes. I love the camera movement. I love the way it's shot. I guess my only gripe would be is like sometimes we don't spend too much time with the characters to learn a little bit more about them to really care about them. I agree. Uh, We're looking at, at you Natalie. Time, <laughs> honestly probably all of them too uh the only one we really get a deep dive in and we get a lot of layers into this person's character is mia david mia or david mia david david is her brother yeah i'm talking about her oh you're just talking about mia okay, a, okay okay yeah we get a deep dive on her yeah because i feel like for me she's for sure the f- the forefront of this entire movie and there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of uh, similarities of someone who is trying to uh, quit cold turkey on drugs mm-hmm. the effects they could be and like how they can feel so horrifying for that person and the people around them is not going to believe them and the stuff that's happening to them and there's a lot of um, contrast in that and that's what I really love about this movie it really takes a deep dive into the mental health aspect of things her inner demon and how she has to defeat that evil side of herself mm-hmm. and kind of relieving herself from that past and the horrors that come with it and we get a just a great fucking movie of just great kills <laughs> great tension building great action sequences Horrible dialogue, and I mean it not like horrible, bad written dialogues, like just right. dialogue, just, just like fuck, you said that. That's crazy. Yeah. Like <laughs> you damn, went there. like you're horrifying <laughs> yes by saying that kind of stuff. No, it's a great movie. It's well acted. I have to give them props for that as well. I think everyone held their own. Everyone had their motives of why to be there. They were trying to help her out, and you just see this chaos on sue on them and it's just really great to see i mean this is such a great movie this makes me really really excited for this year's alien Rommel, uh romulus i think it's called i think so but Fede Alvarez just does a great job of building suspense releasing the terror and he's, he's a great us on the ride he's a great atmosphere builder like yes. he really truly knows how to build an atmosphere and i love that from him and it's yeah. it's great. Um, and, you know, I, I do agree with you that Mia is like the forefront of this movie. But I would argue that David is honestly our true main character here. 
mainly based off the fact that David was the one who had to kind of do everything, right? Like he was the True. one who was trying to like yeah. figure out all, all this stuff out. And I felt like David had some, some, uh, some demons of his own, right. That he also yeah. had to do. Like, for example, I really like the context of burying his feelings by burying Mia. <laughs> Right? right, and then he has to unearth those feelings back by you know rescuing me. So like I I love that context of of that as a metaphor for him, right? Because it feels it feels like he he has guilt, right? That was his main thing. He was guilty, right. and I like that. I like that that aspect behind him. And I just I, there's just many aspects that I think is really really cool about this movie, which we'll definitely be diving into in just a second. Right. But for him and everyone else, I do agree that I would have loved to spend a little bit more time to just know a little bit more about them. Like for example, I wish I would have known more about Eric and why he had such a fascination in trying to decipher the book. I don't know if he was compelled sure. to do it. Or if that was like if he's a history buff, or if he's that's like a historian, like, like make you know, him so, like a history buff guy, yeah, yeah. It's right. Like, oh, like, I love this kind of shit. I love like make him like the nerd of like, oh, I yeah. love witchcraft. I love the history of it. I love like finding like, out. Maybe he's or, a demonologist yeah. or something like sure. that. But like, I, I wanted more context as to why he had such a fascination with wanting to open the book and to begin with. I mean, same same thing could be said for Evil Dead Rise, but Evil Dead Rise makes a little bit more sense in that context because it's a teenager. Teenagers are right. just curious, and that makes sense. So in in that point, to me, that makes a little bit more sense as to why a teenager would be so enthralled by a crazy fucking book with all these demonic images. But for an adult who has a little, who should have a little more common sense, would probably pick this book up and be like, uh, fuck that. I'm good. Probably not going to text yeah. us. So. Like everyone says, like, you should have just left it down there. It's like, yeah, you should have. Dude, that's what I'm like, saying. You've got it's barbed just wire like, around it. You got, like, yeah, wire cutters. Bag, you're like, yep, I'm going to go through wire. it. Barbed wire. It was surrounded Looks by like fucking skin. Perfect. dead I'm down. Let me open cats. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't need it. Don't need it. Yeah. Uh, but let's go and jump into this, man. Let's do it. I'm excited. Evil Dead 2013, specifically directed by Fede Alvarez, released April 5th, 2013. I remember watching this in theaters at a midnight showing. And it was back when they only still did midnight showings. None of these eight o'clock, seven o'clock showings. None of that. <laughs> this was a legit midnight showing. And I was scared out of my mind. Runtime of one hour and 31 minutes with a budget of $17 million and a box office of $97.5 million with a rating of 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I feel like this is one of those movies that should be re-rated. Because it, sure. I definitely yeah. think this movie would not be rated this low in today's age. At the time, I guess. I would say it's in the 90s if it was rated now, to be honest. Right, yeah. I mean, at the time, everyone wanted things like The Conjuring and Insidious and stuff like that. Um, so for this movie to kind of come on out, I guess, was a little bit of a shocker for a general critical audience. I think it was a little too intense for people at that time. <laughs> Maybe I just think critics didn't really want this because we just sure. came out of the torture porn phase and stuff like that. So I don't think critics right. really wanted this for horror movies. But 
I don't know, fuck them. Anyway, <laughs> we open to a teen limping through the forest, blood dripping from a gash on her cheek. Someone runs behind her, startling her to look in that direction. She spots a man standing in the distance with a shotgun. She tries to move quicker, hiding behind a tree. Looking over her shoulder, she doesn't see anyone. Another man puts a sack over her head, throwing her to the ground as he shushes her as she struggles. She chokes as the man with the shotgun comes up to them, the one holding her call calls out that, quote, he caught the bitch, end quote, <laughs> while the other man hits her in the head with the butt of the shotgun. Already kind of starting us out in a very, very interesting light. <laughs> right. And for us, it looks like someone who's very, looks very innocent, very, like, scared, running for her life. She's being attacked by these two guys. We're already on for the ride. It's like, what's really happening and what's really going on? And I love that later on, it's about to flip on its head. And it's just like, ah, the reveal's great in this opening scene. It's fantastic. Oh, man. And also, again, I just want to say what you said earlier. Uh, He's really good at building the environment. It's spooky. It's foggy. It has like that overcast feel to it. Yep. Uh, It's dirty. It's grimy. Great color grading in this. Uh, the camera's a little shaky while she's running as well. It it just really brings you into where she's at. Yeah, one hundred percent. And also would like to point out too that our fun fact, I guess, already just kind of kick us off. This was written by Fede Alvarez and someone else. I forgot who the name of of that person was as well. But it's a it's a partner of Fede Alvarez. Like they usually do stuff together, but. This was moderated and edited the script by Diablo Cody, who wrote Jennifer's Body. I thought that was absolutely amazing. She helped them Americanize this because they didn't really speak that well of English at the time um, because they're from Argentina. So for them, it was just like, uh, I don't know. I just (laughs) want to make an Evil Dead movie and I got the rights. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She wakes up with the sack still over her head. But she's inside of a cellar. She tries to pull her hand, but it's bound with barbed wiring. She calls out for them not to hurt her. An old woman speaks in Welsh for her not to be afraid as she wraps barbed wire around a dead cat. Atop of the table, the old woman's tools. She hangs up the slightly skinned cat as the teen asks who they are, calling out for someone to help her as the old woman opens up the Book of the Dead, speaking in Welsh that only, or quote, only the evil book can undo what the evil book has done, end quote. Also, fun fact about this old woman, she does become a deadite eventually in Ash versus Evil Dead. So, hey surprise (laughs) she flips through the pages as the teen pleads for her to let her go so she can go home the girl's father harold comes up to her pulling the sack off of her head she is surprised to see him she looks around wondering why he he did this to her and who all these people are he claims that they're good people and that they are there to help she doesn't understand wanting to know where her mom is he reveals that her mother is dead and that she knows that reminding her that she was the one who killed her she cries that she just wants to go home the old woman flips through the book to, to an, an illustration of a woman being burned alive shouting for her for him to do it it being the only way to save her soul harold opens a bottle with a flammable liquid inside apologizing while pouring it over her head she cries for him to look at 
at her as he struggles to light the match. The old woman shouts for him to do it to give his daughter peace. The teen claims that she just wants her father to hold her and take her home, pleading for him to do so. He ignores the request, lighting the match as she pleads for him to stop. He tries to light the match as she finally allows herself to say in a crying plea that she'll rip his soul out. Finally, he lights it. Her eyes shift to a demonic yellow, repeating that she'll rip his soul out, calling him a pathetic fuck. He flinches, dropping the match on the ground and setting it ablaze. She laughs, threatening that she will kill him like she killed his whore. She starts screaming in pain before gasping in pleasure. He pulls out the boomstick, telling her that he loves her one last time. She shrieks as he blows her head off straight to the title card. Fuck yeah. Dude. What an opening. Dude. Let's go. (laughs) What a showcase of acting, too, from going from innocent pleading for your life to, like, I will rip your soul out. Yeah. Pathetic fuck. I was like, whoa. And then the (laughs) the eyes. Eyes are great effect. Looks great. Looks awesome. Looks iconic that we kind of see a little bit later in Evil Dead Rise kind of brought it back a little bit, too. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I mean, this is what you'd want in an open scene scene for a movie called Evil Dead. 100%. It's fantastic. It, it's really gritty. It's really gross. Everything's wet and bloody and disgusting. Uh, <laughs> the whole environment is just like, it's gross. It's absolutely filthy. Everyone doesn't look right as well, too. They try to like, I don't know, just everything just seems off. Right. They're kind of like these hillbillies or something. Yeah. yeah, and she's the only one that seems to be normal. And then, like I said, this movie does a great job of making her the victim and then becoming the antagonist out of nowhere. And we're like, right. this is the only way we have to do it. And it's great acting on her part. I don't know who this actress is, but shout out to her because she did an incredible job with that opening scene. Phoenix Can- uh, Canelli. Shout out to her. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. The- Kind of a funny name. Yeah. What happens to her? <laughs> Maybe she'll come back. There you go. Who knows? She's good. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. And I, one thing I really like about this particular scene in general is how she pretty much what you what you first position how she actually shifts from kind of this innocence and this person that you want to take care of, you want to believe, and you want to save, right. but. For this old woman who is speaking just Welsh is really just let it t- pretty much telling him like you need to cleanse her you need to right. uh, d- delete her from this life <laughs> pretty much and I was curious where they were like where did they come from um, and things like that like I would have loved a little bit more on them Poor as Laura. well yeah but. At the same time, probably would have been a different movie, right? Uh, we wouldn't have right. gotten the cabin in the woods type of feel if we had this or something like that. If we had, if we had help, I should say, if we had help, we probably wouldn't get this more cabin in the woods type of feeling, which I prefer. I prefer them to be helpless and and right. to isolation horror exactly the best. to yeah. feel that bleakness of sur- being surrounded initially. No one can help them but themselves. Exactly. And I love yeah. how contained everything felt um, as well, because it felt like this was a very small piece of island that they were on inside right. this cabin or something. But 
One road in, one road out, and that's it. Pretty much. Yeah. Cut to an overhead of a Jeep driving on a road to a dirt road through the woods. It drives over a creek, making it to a broken down cabin. David gets out of the car. Olivia calls out to him to greet to greet him, calling him uh, a hot shot city boy. He hugs and greets her. She <laughs> demands him to give her a hug with two arms like he missed her. <laughs> I feel like they had a thing. Like they, they seem like they had a thing for a while. <laughs> Maybe. You know what's really funny? After rewatching this, I forgot like he brought his girlfriend. <laughs> yes, he brought Natalie with him. I was like, oh, like halfway through the movie, I was like, wait, who is this character? Like she didn't really get introduced <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. I'm like, oh wait, okay, she's the one that does this in the kitchen. Gotcha. <laughs> but I was like Yeah, she's very important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she actually does quite a bit. She does oh, a lot yeah. of damage um, in this movie. Oh, absolutely. I think she does the most damage. Everyone gets the, actually in this I think movie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she does the and most. And the person damage. who gets the most damage, we know and, who that. Yes, is. she definitely she does. It. Fun fact again about this movie as well that I always thought was just silly cleverness. Um, everyone's name spelled out uh, is actually spelled out. Or what I guess if you use their initials, we'll spell out demon. So you got David, mm. Eric, Mia, Olivia, and Natalie. So it spells out demon. So yeah, that's why. There you go. That's cool. That's a fun fact. <laughs> he does so before introducing his girlfriend Natalie to her. Natalie conf- confuses Olivia with being a doctor. She embarrassingly corrects Natalie, who then apologizes. Eric, who's <laughs> sitting in, in uh, the boot of the car, calls out to David, um, was supposed to be there two hours ago. Okay. <laughs> he approaches Eric, calling out that being a high school teacher turned him into an old coot. Uh, I guess that's what it was. He was a high school teacher. Right. But they didn't signify what type of high school teacher he was. So we could only assume that he was a history teacher or something like that. Eric rebuts right. that he did since he had them waiting there all morning. David ignores all of that. Wanting to give him a hug, complimenting him, Eric taps him with his journal, letting him know that his sister Mia is waiting for him in the back. Mia is sitting down on a broken down Delta 88 while drawing a, drawing and smoking a cigarette. Shout out to the Raimi Delta 88. It has to be there. We have to connect it somehow, right? And um, what a great shot. Of it's that fit. little zoom out Fantastic. of the car and heard like on the car, and you have the backlight God. of the tree or the lights going through the trees. Mm. One of my favorite shots in this movie. That used to be my background for really? my yeah for my MacBook Air yeah. back in in college because that's when I watched yeah. this. That used to be my background for like a, a solid like two three years. <laughs> Great shot. One of my favorite in the films for sure. Easily. David walks up to her saying hi. She's, su- she's surprised that he actually came. He comments that he's her big brother, and of course they, of course, he would come. She understands that she looks like roadkill. He disagrees, call, calling out that she looks beautiful as always. She rebuts that he's a charming liar as always. Their dog, Grandpa, comes barking as he runs over to Mia. Fantastic name for a dog, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just imagine getting mad at that dog? Like, God damn it, Grandpa! <laughs> <laughs> poor grandpa fantastic poor grandpa oh damn yeah r.i.p for sure uh she rubs him as she reminisces that he used to love this place david shares that grandpa missed her a lot she nods her head in shame he calls out that something is behind her ear she starts freaking out as he reaches <laughs> reaches for it pulls out a necklace she sighs in relief chuckling that that not being funny he explains that the necklace is made out of buckthorn tree and it's supposed to make her feel stronger 
And she looks at she looks at it at him remembering that he doesn't believe any of that kind of stuff. He agrees, but knows that <laughs> she does. So maybe it'll work. All right. I like it, that it, moment. That's cool. Yeah, it's like it's it's in the thing about this moment that I also think is really nice is the fact that you can tell that there was a time where they loved each other. Right. They were and close at some point. They and were he's close. trying exactly. to get to that point again. It's like, I'm here for you. And then right. that's the thing. That's his character arc is like, no matter what happens, I'm staying here till the end. Right. Which, I don't know what she does. Well, yes, <laughs> till the very end. Till the very end. She's ready mm. to go and get started. Getting up from the car, she turns back to him, wanting him to promise her that he'll stay with her until the end. Wanting him to cross his, cross his heart, he does so. Saying the words, quote unquote, hope to die while doing mm. so. What the fuck is up with that? Like that, the, like that whole phrase in general. Yeah, cross my heart, hope to die. Why? I don't want. What, I could just say I promise. Cross my heart, hope to not die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, hope to live to see. If I it. die, I can't keep my promise. Here you go. <laughs> exactly. Makes no sense. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, well, if I die, I'm leaving you technically. So, so there you go. Promise broken. There you go. <laughs> Cut to the liar. All. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to them all standing over a well as Mia uh, starts saying the words, quote, May my friends and family witness this act, an irrevocable promise to my commitment that she stops. Saying fuck it before promising to never do this shit ever again, dumping her bag of coke down the well and crumbling up the baggie before throwing it in, ready to play cold turkey. Mm. Mm. So cool. We officially get our f- context of what's up with Mia, why we're right. here. Exactly. Um, so yeah, she's a drug addict trying to recover. Her journey. Yeah. And uh, she's trying to go full-blown cold turkey and using the help of her friends. <sighs> I love uh, that. Yeah. I, like, the fact that this is just so incredibly bleak from the start and you do not have anything happy about this at all. It's amazing. They went there for help. Yes. And then they got this. <laughs> instead, yeah. instead of hope, they got hell. And right. it's, yeah. it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, another movie that did this really well to me was Saw 2 with putting okay, a bunch yeah. of addicts inside of this um, torture house. And it's lovely because you, you get these people who aren't thinking well. They're already having reactions and there's things already happening to them to where they, they aren't They already made. have a losing battle. Exactly. And they're, they're, they're made yeah. to be untrustworthy, right? So we, we have an untrustworthy narrator and or untrustworthy protagonist because exactly. of this concept of them being a recovering drug addict. So of course there's going to be inconsistencies in what they're trying to say and what they're trying to do. Exactly. They even came up with, uh, we'll talk about later with a scene where they're like, she'll literally tell us anything to get out of here. Right. And that's where it's like, but it's kind of funny because I do love this movie where it's like, it kind of takes that away right away too, because it's like, nope, we believe her now because shit's actually happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, which this I movie like. does not take long to start, which yeah, is great. Which yeah. I like. Great runtime. Very great pacing. It, it oh yeah. It's quick. fantastic. They, they yeah. use every single minute of that too, which is great. It's a great introduction real quick to get everyone's inside wider there and stuff like that too, to get 
the viewer on board with all of the characters, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. They are ready to go inside the cabin, David grabbing the key, hoping that it still works. He tries for the door, but it's already unlocked. The lock is broken, and pushed, and he pushes the door open, picking up a crowbar, knowing that someone already broke into their place. Natalie calls out to him for, to be careful as he walks through the damp cabin. Mia calls out about the smell, who seems to be the only person to smell something. Down below, flies buzz around as Eric calls out that some teens probably came in and trashed the place. Not wrong. Mia calls out uh, that her mom would have hated seeing the cabin like this. David acknowledges and agrees to make it livable again. Mia goes into their childhood room, finding a picture of the four of them. Echoed laughter sounds off as she relieves the memories that are captured in the photos. She finds a picture of her, her mom, and her brother together. David comes into the room to check on her while going into the cabinet. She questions if he remembers a lullaby that their mother used to sing to them, repeating the lyrics, quote, Baby, little baby, it's time to say goodbye. End quote. He calls out to her to stop considering that she doesn't need sad memories in her head right now, when in reality, he's the one who didn't want the sad memories. He was like, I... I need to just deal with one thing at a time. I cannot deal with that because of his guilt. Right. right. His he has his own traumas himself to holding that. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's why I feel like he, he, he does. We do get quite a bit of information on him when it comes to why he's doing this. He's trying to make up for his guilt. Right. So like, right. Yeah. So it's really interesting. She rebuts that story. It's a what? It's a family story. It's exactly. Beautiful. There you go. <laughs> so watch this with your parents, kids. Uh, she rebuts <laughs> that mom isn't isn't a sad one. Striking a nerve, he believes that she understands what he means. She brings up that their mom thought she, that she was him during her final days at the hospital, even going so far to call her David for the whole day once, and she played along, feeling the guilt. He interrupts her that he wanted to be there, but by the time she got bad, he got a job at the garage in Chicago, having a hard time finding finding the right time to come back, but it was too late. She responds that he was probably lucky not having to see her that way that she did. She leaves out of the room. Cut to David nailing the door frame with his nail gun while the others um, are all hanging about. Also, really great context here of them using using nonchalant tools just to bring them back as weapons. You completely, yeah. yeah. I was about to say that too. They did, okay, the editing in this movie is so smart uh, because they do this a few times and you brought it up where they're giving those tools the light for like a brief second and it gets a little call back later on how it gets used in a terrible way. Yeah. And it's every time it's a quick edit to the next scene. So they did this with the nail gun, and they also do that with the saw. And yes. it, it's it's really cool to see. And the it's box like, cutter. Ah. And the box cutter, too. Yeah, no, they honestly did an incredible job with like just a quick edit of just what's to come. Everything was mm-hmm. planned. Everything was well shot. Everything was like, it's perfect. Now, this movie is organized so well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to see that shot list for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that shot was list smart. was probably immaculately laid out. <laughs> the shot list is like, all right, and then he starts using no gun. He, 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 this will come back later. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was, to be honest. They're, they're like smirking and laughing like, <laughs> they don't even know. They don't even know. Great sound design, too, in this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Holy fuck. 
it, just great Ugh. use of grittiness in general. Like the just everything, every aspect of this movie to me is just fucking almost flawless. Yeah. Olivia's Olivia comes up to him. He calls out to Mia, who seems to be doing okay. She tells him that there's something that he needs to know, letting him know that they already tried this in Flint last summer. Mia making the same dramatic promises, taking the same dramatic vow of sobriety before chucking her dope down the toilet. Eric interrupts that she lasted only eight hours before quitting. Olivia turns to David that they don't want to give Mia the chance this time. He stands up, wanting to know what she means. She explains that when Mia breaks, knowing that she will, they don't want to allow her to leave. He questions them, forcing her to stay here. Eric leans in knowing that the, that the hard way is the only way which also comes back later as well that same mm. line olivia chiming back in that mia won't survive another od david is confused this being his first time hearing about his little sister ODing. eric explains that she legally died and they had to defib def oh my god defibrillate her <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> david takes a moment looking at looking out as at his sister Olivia wanting to, wanting them to be together on this, otherwise it won't work. He came there to make things better with Mia, not worse. So once again, guilt, right? Knowing that yeah. he'll take her home if she asks him to. Later that night, it uh, it is a violent ass storm. Jesus. Didn't even look like that was going to happen, but it was violent. And Mia is screaming and yelling about the smell. Olivia is trying to calm her down as David goes into the room to check on her. She sobs and falls to the ground before glaring up at him. And she already looks like demonic. Right. And very pale, very sickly. She's losing it a little bit. The withdrawals are kicking in heavy. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I've never been on like super crazy hardcore drugs or anything quite like that. So I don't know how, the, how specifically how this feels, but I have been around people who have taken some hardcore drugs and had to focus on all these crazy ass withdrawals and things like that. And it's fucking scary. Like they yeah. are a different person when that right. stuff happens. Like it, it's really, really scary. So I can see how everyone here in this moment are like panicking and trying yeah. to figure out like what they can do to one keep her to stay and two to try to calm her down and subdue some of these withdrawals and things like that as well. It's a it's a very scary reality. And that's why I do appreciate this movie and what it's trying to say as well with me as character is that it really showcases what withdrawals can look like. Yeah. Even with the just perils of someone being possessed, that could very much feel like someone that you're seeing who's just going through withdrawals, who are just going manic a little bit and going crazy and saying outlandish things just to feel what they want to feel when they take those drugs and being away from it. And it's like that detachment of something that you are literally addicted to. Addiction's a hell of a thing, and it's scary. It is. Luckily, I've never really witnessed it in my life, which is great, but I've seen a lot of portrayals, obviously, with film, but... I feel like this movie tackles it very well. I agree. Um, in a horrifying way, scary way. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing is almost like a PSA on drugs, right? Right. Like, don't it's do just, it. Yeah. Don't do it. Or do it. I can't tell you no. I'm not your, I'm not your parents. So. You know if you are doing it, go to the cabin. There Try you to go. Quick cold turkey. <laughs> 
Actually, this probably makes people not do that. Never mind. You know what? Actually, try to get help if you can, but you know, do your thing, do whatever you want. I guess. Yeah. Never right. mind. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're not condoning you to do drugs. I'm yes. just saying we can't force you to not do them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, all right, we're backpedaling. Their <laughs> Olivia, program. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia looking up at him, assuring Mia that uh, they're they're all there and they're they aren't going anywhere. Olivia injects medicine into Mia's hand, understanding that the withdrawal is kicking in hard, but this should help. Give drugs for the drugs. Got it. Uh, <laughs> Mia doesn't understand <laughs> what's wrong with the rest of them complaining about the smell. Natalie tells her that there isn't any smell. Olivia agreeing that she's just extra sensitive right now, but Mia can't stand this supposed smell anymore. Meanwhile, Grandpa starts scratching at the rug while whining. David notices and tugs the rug underneath him, revealing a cellar door with dried blood entering inside of it. Jesus Christ. Okay, if you see that, I just put the rug back immediately. I'm not going back. Like, you see dried blood in We're like leaving. a random cellar? We're leaving. Yeah. It's I'll just like, cool, we don't have to, to do this here. Right. Like, you can you can get clean other places. Like, it doesn't have to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, Hawaii. That's a great place. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place. That's that is a great place. Or an actual facility, whatever. You know? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Those exist. <laughs> Rehab's a thing. Yeah. We don't know how much money they have, so I guess that like also kind of goes through a thing. Fair and enough. The only thing I could think of is that like this was the last place that brought them amazing memories. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. a good call. Quick cut to them uh, opening up the hatch, releasing an outrageous stench. Mia being a smartass, wondering what <laughs> Olivia's medical diagnosis is now, and she just agrees that it fucking stinks. They all head down the steps, David telling Eric to be careful because the stairs are old and rotted. Love that. Also comes back later. Back, Eric's yeah. sly remarks just like the old this old house. Once they get down there, they wince at the smell, Eric commenting about it smelling like burnt hair. David believes the smell is coming from behind a door deeper into the cellar. The door, the open, they open the door, coughing from the smell. The room is covered with barbs strung up cats that are missing their eyes and, and are burnt. They are trying to figure out what's going on there, but they can't place their finger on it. David finds the post uh, that's burnt to a crisp, while Eric points out the barbed and bagged book with the boomstick sitting right next to it. They bring the book and gun upstairs, David not wanting to make a big deal out of this while willing to bury the dead cats out back later. Natalie tries to make some light of the situation, mentioning that, mentioning that the smell will be gone in no time. Mia wants to know who, uh, what they're do going to do with the rest of this quote-unquote voodoo shit that they did down there. Eric uh, corrects her that voodoo was more about doll and artifacts, but this is something different. Olivia tells him that's enough. Mia comments that they sh shouldn't have touched anything from inside the basement before walking out into the room. Got a point. In the morning, <laughs> Natalie uh, is cutting some spoiled-ass meat with an electric carver. This meat looked disgusting. Right. Ugh. Like it's been like sitting out for hella long. Like days. Like don't yeah, eat it that. does not look good. It does not look good at all. That looks absolutely horrendous. Olivia again, brings just to bring up again, this is another quick cut straight to that tool. Cutting yes. through meat. Yeah, like, that electric carver cutting beautiful. through meat. Yeah. Great editing. Oh man. Jesus Christ. This movie's so brutal. And, and I actually, love it. To point out, she's the one that's using it too. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Olivia Practicing. brings in some plates and looks out of the window, noticing Mia walking around in circles in the rain. Like no jacket on, nothing. She's like, All right. right, they're cool with her doing that. They're like, you know what? We come for her she inside. Needs space. If she's outside, we'll leave her alone a little bit. You know, do your thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, Eric is being an idiot, allowing his curiosity to get the best <laughs> of him. Voices whispering around him as he has the book in front of him. He grabs a pair of pliers and starts cutting uh, cutting away uh, the wire. Also comes back later, and he's mm. also the one who uses the pliers later as yeah. well. So. Voices whispering around him. <laughs> uh, he grabs the pliers and starts cutting away the wire, forcing forcing it open, revealing that the book is made from human skin that's all stitched up. He turns on the desk lamp and opens the, the book to a demonic three-eyed he- goat's head with the words, Natrum Demonto, which he says al- aloud. Uh, he continues turning the uh, turning the pages to wild images and etched warnings on the pages, and this is incredible. These warnings are like so direct. Right. Don't say it. Don't write it. Don't hear it. Like, right. All right. What do you do? Oh, I'm gonna fucking. I'm gonna do it, all, of it, say it, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't use this book. Okay. Let me continue real quick. It's like. Man, but this doesn't stop him. He continues turning the pages, eventually getting a paper cut, his blood dripping on the pages. The words, quote, don't say it, don't write it, don't hear it, end quote. And more on the bottom, quote, they open the the door to him, end quote. Mm. The incantation is scribbled over. He takes a sheet of uh, paper and pen, scribbling on it to find what the covered up word is. He says the first line of the incantation, something quickly slithers through the woods. Uh, The second line, it slithers faster towards Mia. The third and final line forces Mia to see a flash of her demonic self and throw up. She pleads for God to give her a break as she crouches on the ground. When she looks up, she sees someone that looks like her with her head down, whispering her name. Mia fuck nopes it right out of right back into the cabin <laughs> to grab the keys to get out of there. Olivia comes into the room wanting to know what what she's doing. Mia apologizes, but she needs to get out of there right now. Olivia tries to get her to stay, but Mia is done, thinking that she's going insane. David comes comes up from the basement wanting to know what's going on. She claims that she will go through with this, but she can't do it there. Olivia tells her that they decided and they aren't going to take her back. Erica chiming in that they can't lose her again, and she's going to have to stick this one out this time. She looks to David to drive her home. He doesn't respond right away. She barks for him to come on. He considers them possibly being right. She reminds him that he's he was supposed to be on be there to support her not them he tries to speak Mm. up that that he's there for her but she cuts him off calling herself an idiot to think that she can count on him he breaks the necklace that he gave her and just hands it back to him this is crushing oh my god Snatching the keys as Olivia tries to explain that they are trying to just help her, she gives her her thanks by saying fuck you very much before heading into her room. Eric goes to follow her. Olivia tr- tells him to leave her alone. He opens the door anyway, calling out to her, but she's already dipped dipped out of the window and started the car. Holy shit. Okay. Oh, Mia. So... We get this fucking imbecile, Eric, who has to read this shit out loud. For real? Why? Right. What made you want to read this out loud? So just to make sure what he said, he said, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know what's funny? I actually, I guess it's a superstition thing for me. Right. Like you still I don't want to say it out it, loud. And right. then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna delete it. And I didn't. I didn't want to say it out loud. Like it was something. It was like kind of like the candy man effect. It. What's that? Mm, you wrote it though. I didn't finish it though, because like I stopped halfway and I was just like, okay, I don't know yeah. if I want to do this. Like I know it's a it, movie. It clearly says do not write it. It's true, friends. That is true. Follow instructions. Has been two days though, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> right now you start puking. It's like <laughs> I knew it. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> she speeds she speeds off into the storm they run out calling for her to come back mia drives insanely fast down the dirt road screaming out fuck as she continues this was fantastic like jane levy man holy shit i want her to come back to horror so badly and i know oh, she made 100%. that announcement that she is kind of coming back and i cannot wait I think she is fantastic in everything that she does. She's God damn it, dude. She's really, really good. Really, really good. It was actually really nice to also see her in her little show that she had that Zoe's extraordinarily play extraordinary playlist. That was, it was a cute show. It was, it was just really cute. <laughs> it was a cute one. It was cute. Um, it, yeah, it's just, I just thought it was adorable, but <laughs> it was fun. It was fun to just see her act again. And I'm just like, right. I, we need you back in horror. Like, badly. We just do. <laughs> we just do. Because she's fantastic. I don't want to see her leave this genre ever again. <laughs> right. Everyone should do horror. True. Everyone yeah. should do horror. Which Paul Giamatti just said that he wants to, I know. He wants to do a horror film. I can't film. wait. I can't wait. Which he, yeah. he was in a horror show. He was in 30 Coins. And he was right. fantastic in it. So I think he just got that itch from that show. Probably he's like, you know what? This is kind of a cool genre. It can do a lot. And like, no shit. Acting in horror films is like, you could do a lot of great performance in it. I just think people just don't think of him to be in horror, despite his roles. Right, because everyone was like flipping out, and everyone's like, and everyone in the horror community is like, yes, we need this. We want this. absolutely. It's like, yeah, well, give us Oscar like performing actors in horror like tony collette like come on like all of it like we have exactly. some great people already but like yeah everyone should and, be in and, the horror film at least once thing, or twice the thing is it's by having genre. those types of actors also in horror films granted like a lot of horror films don't have these type of actors because it's expensive that's that's sure. one of the main reason why and horror films are they're not expensive they're not expensive to really make Obviously, they they're expensive for the average person, but like they're not expensive to make, right? Like, um, so typically horror films are kind of these low budget type of movies that have big profit margins, and that's it. That's how these horror movies are kind of right. developed. So, like, seeing people like Paul Giamatti get interested in that, these are people who are probably willing to take a bit of a pay cut in order to be a part of something that is more of a passion project instead of just right. doing something. But he's been doing more indie stuff lately anyway, so I'm sure that that hey, has a lot to... Holdovers is one of the best movies of 2023, for sure. I haven't seen it yet. I really want to see it. So good. Yeah, I really want to see it. Wondering what she is doing, she turns uh, turns on the windshield wipers just to reveal her demonic self standing in the middle of the road, shrieking at her. She swerves into a swamp. Cuts black. Mia wakes up, 
touching her wounded head. She tries to start the car, but it won't start, so she fishes for her purse and exits out of her car, falling into a freezing pond and trying to swim her way across as the demonic force slithers after her. She makes it out stopping when she hears David's voice calling for her. When she looks back, she can hear all of them calling for her, but one of the voices are distorted. Something in the swamp lifts up and chases after her. Mia makes a run for it, falling into a pile of thorny branches. She fights her way out of them, but ga- but gasps um, in, in pain as one of the branches wraps around her arm. She pulls at it but falls as another branch grabs her by the throat, choking her as it lifts her up, reaching for another. She's then forced into the air. Someone whispers her name. She looks over to the rapidly breathing deadite of herself, looks up at her, releasing a dark, sludgy coil barbed vine from its mouth. It slithers over to Mia's leg, forcing its way inside. Her and her deadite both share a shriek. Fuck. Terrifying. Dude. Obviously a little Jesus. homage of the first Evil Dead. Of course. Taken to another level. Of course. That's what Alvarez does in this movie a lot. <laughs> I do like that he does do a little bit of nods of the past, which is great, right? We talk about remakes, reboots, and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. You have to talk about the foundation that was always set before it. Yes. And I love that it respects the past and it respects how good the first evil dead movie is as well uh this is such a horrifying scene and just a great way to kind of do a different way of doing a possession movie in a way absolutely Mm -hmm. this this is fucked (laughs) um (laughs) to lack of better words right it's just it's just fucked and we also get a scene like this in evil dead rise and i know we both kind of talked about like oh evil dead rise always was starting to get there but never went there this movie fucking goes there yeah and that's the thing that we always compared it back to like this movie it's just like this movie just goes places and you're just like fuck it's terrible to look at but at the same time like i'm happy you You can't look away i hate it yeah exactly this is the interesting car crash that we drive by that we can't like not look at and this is what causes the traffic it's like this is like oh this is true horror in a horror film like right yeah and and I, I think that that was what my my main issue with Evil Dead Rise was the fact that like this movie Evil Dead twenty thirteen pushed so many boundaries, boundaries yeah. and they took those risks when Evil Dead Rise felt way safer in my opinion right. than this movie. I feel and like that's Evil where the Dead Robin Rise score kind of leans towards like, oh, exactly. we like safe a little bit. Right. You were a little too hardcore for us. I don't like that much. <laughs> yeah. But even with Evil Dead Rise or something like that, like I would say putting these two films together, I would show less seasoned horror fa- horror uh, film watcher or horror fan or whatever, Evil Dead Rise before I would show them 100%. Evil Dead yeah. or something like that. Just because Evil Dead, I feel like definitely goes there. Right. But Evil Dead Rise is a little bit more approachable, I think. 
David and Olivia find Mia in the fetal position on a tree stump. They are back inside the cabin. Olivia comes out of the room from seeing Mia. David is wondering how Mia is as Olivia is putting her medical equipment back into her bag. She doesn't know since Mia is talking about seeing a woman in the woods and how the woods attacked her, pawning it off as a withdrawal talk. Natalie questions if she should if she should be taken to a hospital, David agreeing that they might be over their heads here. Offended, Olivia turns around exclaiming that she's given Mia the same treatment that she'll get from a hospital yeah but you'll at at least be in a hospital thinking that if they leave now then all of this would be for nothing eric questions the wounds on mia's arms she thinks that mia could have run into a thorn bush thinking that she could have done it on purpose david doesn't understand she tells him that mia is going to do whatever it takes to get out of there now he goes to check on Mia inside of her room. She's still huddled in the corner of the, of the room on the, the bunk bed. He sits next to her, calling out to her. He's, it startles her. He suggests for her to get, get out of her, those clothes. She whispers and pleads for him uh, to get her out of there. Tries to re- reiterate what Olivia continues saying, but she stops him by jolting towards his arm, grabbing him, knowing that he doesn't understand and that there is something in the woods. Leaning in closer to, to him to whisper that she believes that it is there with them right now. He questions with him being in the room as she mechanically nods her head. He gets up and heads for the door. As she whimpers, he claims that this is all in her head and that and that they need to try to get it together and she'll feel better by tomorrow, continuing that she'll be glad that they're being such assholes now. Mia shivers in fear as she looks at the mirror, seeing her her demonic self flicking its tongue back and forth at her. Hell yeah, dude. This This shit, dude. Once I saw that (sighs) in theaters, I was like, this is about to be the greatest fucking movie ever ever <laughs> i mean it wasn't i mean but was it? like still it was like this is probably i genuinely think this might be yeah. one of my top favorite movies of all time like That's i fair. think That's evil dead say. 2013 is just so fucking I good think it's one of those things where it's like it's the pinnacle of like scary movie yeah the fear in her eyes and the way she's shaking and the way she like moves her eyeballs looking around the room and being so paranoid and so scared is so effective. The way Absolutely. she's cur- like curled up in a little ball, hidden in the like bed in the corner, the lighting it's straight survival mode. Like I can't be here. I don't feel safe. I you like you don't like you don't understand. And then this is the things where like the parallels of like this could be honestly a real reaction of someone who is going through a withdrawal. Who knows? Absolutely. And that's kind of like where it's like oh like. That's the things that I always hate in like scary movies. It's like, why don't you just believe your significant other or your family member or whatever? But like, this makes sense of why they wouldn't believe her too. And right. that's the brilliant part of the storytelling. It's like, God damn, like if she was like the sober one or just like quote unquote, the sane one, like they'd be like, okay, this is obviously something's going on. But it's like, because she's a drug addict, because she's going through withdrawals, they don't believe her right away. And it's just like heartbreaking to see and he even gaslights her a little bit. And it's just like, ah, uh, and then you see that in the fucking mirror and you're just like, yep, this is just pure chaos about to happen. And as of, as the viewers, like you guys have no idea what's about to happen. <laughs> um, it's a great it. scene. Very powerful scene. This part, one of my favorite scenes. Absolutely. Know? 
Cut to Eric continuing to look and study the book, flipping through the pages, stopping on an image of a naked woman being held up by tree vines. Olivia comes into the room questioning what he is doing, that he should be downstairs helping his friend clean up the mess. He was being a smartass, claiming that he doesn't know who she's talking about. She sighs for him to not act like he doesn't care about David, knowing that he does. He takes his glasses, to cl- takes his glasses off to clean them knowing that David hasn't cared about them. She looks back at Eric, telling him that he's he's there now. He sarcastically answers that it's truly it's truly amazing. Meanwhile, David is down in the basement cleaning up the dead cats. He takes them outside to dump them in, in the bin outside. He notices blood on the ground. He begins to call for his dog. No response or reaction from his dog. He finds Grandpa in, in a hole. He calls out to him to come out. He whimpers as he lies there. David rushes inside the shed, moving wooden boxes out of the way. He shudders as he begins to cry and pull his dog from the hole that's right above him, wondering what he got into, but notices the blood that's on his hand from Grandpa's neck. He sobs as he holds on to his dog, noticing the bloody hammer on the floor. A quick flash to Mia beating the dog with the hammer while screaming. Bah! David goes back into the cabin calling for Mia to take a message from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Whew. (laughs) (laughs) Needed that quick little break because Jesus, we don't see her necessarily hitting the dog because we're at the, the on, on the ground POV shot towards her. So I guess in a way she's beating us, but like <laughs> the the sheer intensity of her screaming and you can see the blood and the dirt splatter on her face right. is amazing. Absolutely. When do you amazing. think she did this? When? Yeah. I think she did it literally like right before, like while he was cleaning out the cats and stuff. There was a lot of cats down there. So like, I don't, I don't think he like, did that that fast <laughs> okay fair enough okay yeah. but there's, yeah i think that's when he did it for sure right okay yeah um because everyone's kind of doing their own thing even natalie is like doing her she probably was so bored um but like everyone's just like kind of doing their own thing right it was probably like right after she saw the reflections like look at my tongue la, 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 la. go kill the dog <laughs> <laughs> like, oh okay <laughs> that's what she go wanted to kill do. a dog <laughs> got it all right Natalie tells him uh, that she's in the shower and he beelines it toward the shower. Olivia questions what happened as he ignores her and continues in that direction. He goes to the door knocking and calling for his sister, yelling for her to open the door. On the other side, Mia is standing in the shower in her gown, allowing the water to pound on her face. The others are trying to calm David down as he pounds and yells for her to open the door. She turns the water to a 
scorching levels, allowing it to boil her skin as the water heater catches on fire. David starts um, shouldering the door. Mia drops down in the shower, allowing the scalding water to wash over her. She convulses as the door shoots open. David notices her skin boiling. He tries to turn off the water, but the handle is too hot. He uses a towel to turn off the water as he calls for Olivia to help him. Quick cut to David trying to drive Mia out of there, her eyes continuing to roll back, roll in the back of her head as foam spills from her mouth. Back at the cabin, Eric flips through the pages, understanding what Mia is doing. Jesus! He finds an image of a woman pouring boiling water on her body. And I love how Eric is connecting the dots at this point. That like, He's like, oh, I've seen this imagery. Like, I fucked I'm up. the reason. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, like this movie does a really good job with like the pacing of it all. So it's like, all right, cool. She might just be going through her withdrawals. And then he's the first character to be like, oh, nope, this is not withdrawals. This is fucking demonic shit. Yeah, which absolutely yeah, terrifying. It really is. And I just like the fact that he understands that like this is my fault. Right. The Instead of him. Are too on the dot, on the head, like. He's just like, no, this is definitely not a right. normal he, like he, he, At that point, I think he's like starting to believe that like, oh shit, we're, we might actually be dealing with something fucked up right now. Which is <laughs> great because that means we have smart characters. Exactly. Yeah. David stops his car when he notices that the lake is completely flooded, not understanding how this can be happening. He looks back at his sister while he's outside of the car. She slightly smiles at him knowing that he'll have to take her right back to the cabin. Oh, the way the stars align for Evil Dead. Now night, <laughs> the storm's still pounding overhead. Olivia forces back tears, sharing that she gave me a sedative and she should be out for a couple of hours. She explains that her burns are at a second or third degree. Eric calls out this all being wrong. She argues that nobody could have known that she uh, would do something so twisted. Quiet Natalie rebuts that she should have known. Since they've all been following her lead when they got there, thinking that they should have left when Mia wanted to. David calls her off, hoping that it'll stop raining in a couple of hours and they'll be able to cross the, cross the creek in the morning to take her to the hospital. Mia slowly walks to the rest of them as he tells them that everything is going to be fine. Eric questions this and repeats it, mentioning that everything is, in fact, not fine. It has been getting worse every single second. He looks over to Mia, who enters the room in absolute terror. Natalie gasps, and, and they all look back at, um, to her wielding the shotgun. She twitches as they call out to her, Olivia asking her what she is doing. Her bones crack as she continues looking down, wide-eyed. Her brother approaches her, trying to have her put down the gun. She brings the double barrel up, pointing it at him. He shouts for her to put the fucking gun down, but she shoots him in the arm. The room falls silent as an unseen force slithers to the door, crashing it open. Mia screams as wind bursts through the door, breaking the windows. Through the screams, you can hear a demon saying, Die, and one by one we will take you. The door closes and the wind halts. Mia stops screaming. In her voice, paralleled with a demonic one, she says, quote, You're all going to die tonight. End quote. 
She drops to the floor. David cries out for Olivia to grab the gun. She crawls over to the gun, grabbing it, but Mia grabs her hand and hisses as her eyes shift to a demonic yellowish glow. She pounces on top of Olivia, growling before throwing up the blood into her mouth. She screams and pushes Mia off of her, causing her to fall into the basement. David calls out to her, but Eric closes the hatch to the door. She is standing in the darkness, looking back up at him as he does as he does so. This scene right here where she's standing up looking at him, to me, is yes. so scary, dude. Like, holy shit. This movie has phenomenal moments. And like I said, the editing is pretty top tier. Uh, yes. It cuts to these great shots out of nowhere. And I love how, like, exactly, she's at the very bottom of the stairs, just standing there in the shadows, looking up at him. He immediately closes it. And the thing pops up. Right. Like she bangs on it, but she was literally on the bottom of the stairs like a second ago, millisecond she was, ago. She was on the bottom of the stairs, and not only that, she was thrown in. Right. And, and, she as, and up. he immediately was going to close it as soon as she was thrown in. They didn't wait a couple of seconds or anything like right. that. He bolted to the door, was like, I got to close this. And she's already standing, staring at him. Yeah. Dude, the way my soul would have left my body in that moment, oh my God. God, damn! Right, I'll be like, okay, I'm swimming. I'm going across that river. Yeah, yeah I like, would. Okay. At, at this point, I'll, I'll risk the current. <laughs> right, let the current take me. I'm out. Slamming on the door as she growls, he locks it and uses his body weight as support. Natalie cries out, wondering what happened to her eyes. The banging finally stops and moves deeper into the basement, hitting herself against something. Eric finds this to be impossible as Olivia claims that she gave her enough sedative to put a horse to sleep. David wants her to give Mia another shot. I would have been like, fuck you, you go down there. But she argues that that could put her in a coma. He yells that she is going to kill herself down there and for her to get to get the shot. She runs to the room as she as he tells Natalie that he needs to get the the shrapnel out of his arm. She runs to get tweezers from her purse. Eric calls out for uh, for David to listen to him, thinking that a tranquilizer isn't going to do anything because they aren't dealing with a panic attack. Scared that what's happening to Mia has to do with the stuff inside the basement. Cut to Olivia washing her face before opening the medicine cabinet for the shot. Uh, She fumbles with it as the cabinet door closes and reveals her face, missing the bottom half of her mouth. It explodes, startling her and causing her to jump back. She walks out of the room, hearing the pages to the book flip to an image of a woman filleting her face. She jumps as the door to the room closes shut. She tries to go towards it, but she's frozen in place, dropping everything in her hand, twitching as she tries to regain regain strength, but she ends up pissing on herself as she has lost full control over her body. Mm. The way she just randomly stops. The door slams, grabbing the attention of everyone else inside the living room. Eric runs over toward the room, calling out to her. Sorry, go ahead. And I was just saying, like, just the, she's just walking out the door, and then she just stops. And it's so eerie. Dude. And then she just, like, freezes up. Starts when she pees on herself? Starts, yeah. Oh, my God, dude. Like, I don't know what it is about a grown person peeing on themselves in a horror film, but for me, it's always unsettling. Right. It's that they're that terrified or that 
uncontrolled or yeah no it's like it's the imagery that should never happen but happens so that's why it's so off-putting right and i think that this moment just like i when i was rewatching it this time around because I, before evil dead rise i rewatched this movie with a group of friends and when I watched Evil Dead Rise, it, it got me pumped up for it and got me like in the mood and all that stuff. But after I sat with Evil Dead Rise and I rewatched it recently and then going back to this, it was this moment, specifically this moment, where I was like, okay, their transition shits on Evil Dead Rise's transitions to where <laughs> the way these demons appear or possess... Right. Oh my god. Like it just cuz if you think about it, we we get the first possession in Evil Dead Rise and it was from technically a scratch on her cheek from the tattoo gun. Right, tattoo gun. Not even like physical scratch from someone's nail or anything. It was no. even like a third party. That thing. was it. No, I will say this, like the the transitions to become demons, they become victims first. Yeah. That's the scary part. It's like they're mutilating their selves. Yes. While they're still themselves. Exactly. And then cause harm to others, which I feel like is even more terrifying. It's like, no, let yeah. me be horrific for you first to transition to you to the horrifier. Right. And it's like, damn, that's crazy. In defense yeah. to Evil Dead Rise, I guess they technically do that because we have like the scene of of her like sitting on the counter and she's right, like chewing, chewing on the glass. Or, but that's but not herself. That's doing not herself. That. That's her yeah, demon that, self doing that already. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you're right on that one. Yeah. Right. I guess you're right. God, but when Olivia, like it's, it's also the twitching because the twitching is something that is also just so intense as well about it. That is just like, it's just, it's so unsettling and so just like unnerving as well. It's just that, that twitching is just like, oh! right. <laughs> oh my God. He goes inside the room. The door uh, to the bathroom is closed. The sound of glass breaks from inside. He takes a few deep breaths before asking her if she's okay and opening the door. The sound of glass cutting through flesh disrupts the air inside the dark bathroom. He goes to turn the light on as water trickles down on top of it. It flashes on and off as he calls out to her, wanting to know what, what she's doing in there. She's cutting herself faster as he approaches and moves back to the curtain. And the sound design here is just amazing. Immaculate. Oh, she yeah. reveals that she's cutting into her cheek. She hisses. And she's completely transformed at this moment. He moves back, slipping on her skin <laughs> and hitting his back on the toilet. He tries to crawl out of the door as she stands up behind him. The door slams on its own, trapping him inside. She turns him over and proceeds to stab him with the shard. So grabbing the syringe off the ground a quick voice saying to kill him she stabs him in the eye and and face with the syringe as he tries to block it with his hand he pushes her off she hits her head on the sink and the shower tile with the the mirror shard still in the, in his chest he takes his glasses off and pu and pulls out a needle that's stuck inside of his upper <sighs> cheek 
She notices that Olivia is still alive, or he notices that Olivia is still alive, crawling toward him with another shard. He grabs the broken piece of the sink, bashing her head in while screaming. David and Natalie come into the bathroom, opening the door, trying to hold back their expired meat that Natalie was foolishly cutting earlier in the morning. Eric repeating that she tried to kill him as he screams. Inside the shed, David pulls out the shard from Eric's chest, exposing a large gash. He tells Eric to hold it while grabbing a box. He pours something, only can assume that it's possibly alcohol, on his wound. He pours a shit of it on it, though. Putting the smallest piece of bandage over it and forcing it (laughs) to stay with a piece of duct tape. It is good enough. While trying not to fade out of consciousness, Eric claims that he did something terrible, thinking that he's talking about Olivia, but Eric knows that wasn't her that he killed. Natalie comments that he's losing too much blood. David tells her to go fetch him some sugar water for some reason. I tried looking this up, like sugar water in context to blood, and the only thing I could find is low blood pressure, not blood mm. loss. So I... Right. I, I didn't quite I didn't quite get this. Like right, and he had like, sugar water. Like, oh, you all of a sudden have some medical background in a way a little bit. But you know what? <laughs> as much as I not not that I dislike Eric, but it's like it's all his fault, right? Essentially him reading the book. He gets a lot. He gets the worst end. For he sure. He gets the worst end for sure. And I think he gets the worst end because he read the book. Good. I mean, I guess bad, but I mean, (laughs) not that he deserves it. But no, I love the close-up of the needle pulling out of his, um, near his eye. Because even just like practical effects or visual effects, it looks great. And that's what makes it so disturbing. Like when he's pulling it out, it's pulling the skin with him and then it pops back out. Yeah, it's it's well, 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 well. And it's done. like that little it trickle so of realistic. blood that just yes. comes that starts to beat out. Even oh his eye, God. how it has like the blood in his eye a little bit, and he's already bloodshot. Like no, Fuck. like the visual effects in this movie when they go for the gore aspect work so fucking phenomenal. So oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She runs out of the shed and back to the cabin while while they stay behind. Eric explains that he uh, read a passage from the book and he released something evil. Meanwhile, Natalie makes it back to the cabin. She watches the cellar hatch before hurrying over to the sink to fill up the pitcher of water and sugar. The door slams open, startling her. She goes to see what it is and notices that the door is open. Mia is giggling from the back of the cabin. The door closes and locks herself and locks her inside. Thunderclaps. And she tries to go for the door. Mia cries out to her, causing her to stop and look back look back to call back to her. She cries again, wanting to know why she's down there, lying that her leg hurts and she can't move. She sits on the bottom step with her back turned toward the open door. Natalie starts heading down the stairs, letting her know that she's going to come down there. Mia sobs, questioning why they locked her down there and they were supposed to help her. Natalie tries to reassure her that they're trying to help her. She slowly approaches Mia as she explains that she was out of control and got violent, not knowing what else to do. She tells Mia that something terrible has happened and they need to get out of there. Mia's voice shifts that she doesn't understand as he, and he's, he's not going to let her leave. And he's not going to stop until he has you, she screams, until he has all of you. Natalie makes a run for it, the top step breaking, causing her to hold on to the top step. She struggles to make it to the top, finally making it, but it's too late. 
she's grabbed and dragged back inside the cellar. She wakes up gasping and coughing. She looks in front of her to see Mia crawling up her leg, blood spilling from her mouth. She sniffs as Natalie's leg um, before licking it. Oh my god. She grabs a box cutter, pointing it at Mia, wanting her to stop. It doesn't phase Mia because she smells her filthy soul. She <laughs> smacks the box cutter out of her hand, chomps down on her hand. She lets go, extending the box cutter and licking the sharp end of the blade, splitting her tongue as she moans pleasurably. I have never seen anything like this before in a movie. Right. At this time. When we talk about movies all day went there, this is a very creative way to go there. <laughs> like the destination we got for this is like, damn. And for a movie like this to be shown in theaters, yeah. unheard of, dude. Like I, that's like, when the credits went wild. They're like, nope, sixty-three percent or whatever the percentage was. <laughs> I was like, nope, not for me. This movie's too much. <laughs> <laughs> she yells for Natalie to kiss her as she forces herself onto her. David then opens the door up, allowing Natalie to escape. He calls out to her as the deadite calls him down there to suck his cock. What? Was this this? I think this was an exorcist callback right here. I can see that. Yeah, to the priest. Uh, yeah, yeah. I also think there was another exorcist callback as well, where your mom b- burns in hell. Yeah. So yeah, uh, he calls for his sister as it yells that she's not there, calling him an idiot, claiming that she's been being raped in hell. There you go. That was it. There. Yeah. He slams the door shut and nails it closed. And that I love that this was this moment where he's like, that was all I needed to see. Like, that was it. Yeah. I just, like, I needed right. to see it for good this time. And then, and like, now I, I, I get it. Yeah. Something's evil here. That, that's not my sister. Um, he slams the door shut and nails it closed, pulling chains through it and nailing those as well, holding Natalie as she cries that she wants to go home. Cut to Eric burning the book in the middle of the floor. David calls out to him. Eric comments that the book won't burn, him believing that this would have ended it. David w- wants to know what's going on there as they both watch the flames do nothing to this book. He explains that the book seems to use some sort of ancient alphabet. There being some translations, but mostly scattered notes referring to a demon. He reads, quote, Once he feasts on five souls, the sky will bleed again, and the abomination will rise from hell. Natalie is in the kitchen checking on her bite wound. She runs water over it, grunting in pain as she applies pressure and forces out black bead-like blood. This was mm. crazy. David considers this to be insane, but Eric continues... He explains that it is attached to Mia's soul like a leech, becoming her, thinking that if they if they want to stop this and help her, they'll have to kill her. He looks back at the book to a woman who was impaled through her mouth. David yells that they aren't going to fucking kill anybody, trying to theorize about the dead cats inside the basement, thinking that they could have had some disease that got to Mia and was then spread to Livia. I like how this moment, though, he's just, like, still trying to rationalize um, what's going on. Right. Eric questions what kind of virus forces a person to <laughs> cut a piece of their face with a piece of glass. Facts. Fair. 
He's like the rational one. It's like, it's like you're seeing this too. Like, what do you mean? Right. And I think that's definitely an interesting tidbit <laughs> to have right. for this movie for sure. Meanwhile, Natalie is getting worse, her hand transforming to a mangled mess before her eyes. The door slams behind her as her hand shakes almost uncontrollably. Fun little callback to Evil Dead 2 as well. David continues trying to bring Eric back to some sort of realistic conclusion, thinking that they have no real idea on what's going on there. All he knows, that it's stopped raining and the river will be clear in a couple of hours and they're all going to get out of there. Eric knows that this doesn't matter. Where they, wherever they go, if they don't do something right now, they'll all be dead by then. Back to Natalie, whose hand is completely fucked at this point. The door to the <laughs> cellar opens up. Mia peeks out at her as her eyes roll to the back of her head. She chokes and twitches, trying her best to gain control. Mia side-eyes her in excitement. And I love Demon Mia, or Deadite Mia. Wow. Yeah, she looks so cool. She That's looks incredible. With the cellar door, slightly cracked open, and she's just staring, looking at what happens. I'm like... Yeah, it's sadistic. It's great. <laughs> and she's just she's playing the hell out of this part right here. Oh, for sure. Like you can tell she's having fun in this yeah. moment. Like you can tell Jane Levy is having so much fun playing this character. God damn it. It's so good. It's such a cool moment. It's a fantastic moment. Yeah. Another such one a great, moment. great shot. Yeah. Absolutely. Natalie comes back to spitting up water. She grabs an electric carver and turns it on. Mia demanding her not to cut it off. She brings it to her arm as Mia says for her not to cut it off again. And she's doing like this mm. reverse psychology thing on her, right? right it's like, do uh, it, but no, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Natalie yeah. does so anyway, not screaming as blood paints the room in herself. Mm. Oh, man. Mia repeats no over and over, and I love how she's saying, no, 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 no. Natalie breaks through, causing her to bellow out a scream. The power then goes off. She, like, breaks directly through her arm. Bone, right. tendon, the whole fucking yard. The only thing is that is keeping it up is, like, an artery. David and Eric go to check on her inside the kitchen, then both repulsed by the sight as she claims that she had to do it and she feels so much better now. Her arm is dangling and holding on for dear life by an artery before falling to the ground. Mia is downstairs giggling from the horror that she's causing. David works wrapping her arm with duct tape, trying to reassure her that she's going to put a, that he's going to put a stop to this and everything is going to be fine. Eric reminds him that she she just cut off her arm, questioning on that being fine. She's in a catatonic state, not responding to him. Eric tries to figure out more of the, uh, the inscriptions, finding them confusing and contradictory. But, but they are consistent about how to stop this by cleansing the possessed. The book describing three specific ways. One, a live burial. Two, bodily dismemberment. Three, purification by fire. David is wondering if he is sure that this will work. Eric cries out that he's not sure, but he's sure that whatever is inside of Mia is the cause of all of this. Whispering that, that if she dies, then this will die with her. David is still in denial playing um, what ifs, 
explaining that his mom died in a mental hospital, calling her a deranged monster, always fearing that him and Mia would end up like her. Eric starts to laugh humorously, calling David a coward. Damn. <laughs> I mean, obviously he has his love for his sister. There's that really strong bond, obviously. Yes. But he's just like, at the point, it's like, you're in denial at this point that you think we cannot do this any other way. So it's like, you're just like how you always been. You've always been a coward. You've always been this. And in reality, he's actually doing exactly what he promised. He crossed his heart, hoped to die about being there for Mia and being there with her to the very end. So there's like that sense of conflict, but at the same time, us as the viewers, like, no, bro, I'm sorry. Literally, bro, just this not going to happen. Got to, Gotta do what you gotta do, man. Do what you gotta do. Yeah, but it's cool that he actually came up with a plan later on, which we'll talk about. But I felt like that scene was kind of silly, to be honest. But that scene was the main thing that I hate. Yeah, it was like a quick edit montage of him like building the thing. But we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, just because he's a fucking mechanic, like what? (laughs) Like I don't know if that's how it works, but (laughs) sure, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't work that way. Right off for thinking on your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing exactly what they have to do, but he's too scared to go through with it. He continues. I mean, but at the same time, like I get that Eric is very afraid as well, but Mm. at the same time, like it's his sister, right? Right. Like no matter if she's a demon or not, like it's still his sister. He continues that he's going to burn this place down and uh, end this, telling him to just run away and hide underneath a rock somewhere. Natalie comes into the room with the nail gun, shooting it in her, into herself. And she's like shooting it in her, into her face. Right. He looks back and David gets, gets up for a better look. She points it at Eric, who gets shot with the gun in his arm, trying to block the nails hitting his face. He falls to the ground and David is next, getting hit in his leg. He rolls out of the way for the next rounds of shots, Mia downstairs, screeching from the antics. Eric moves behind the couch, checking his arm. As more nails pierce through the ca- the couch right next to him, he moves out th- out of the way just in time, hitting his back against the wall. She fires them off at his hand, forcing it to stick to his chest. She, <laughs> good shot. She continues as <laughs> Mia screeches and screams in excitement. David tackles her to the ground as Eric pulls out the nail from his hand attached to his chest. David works to get one of his off too. Looking back up to see that Natalie is no longer on the ground. Eric weakly calls out to David to take the gun before she does. He pulls himself toward it, spotting his now (laughs) ex-girlfriend walk over toward him through the reflection on the TV. She holds the crowbar over her head and brings it down on his hand and then on him multiple times. Eric shoots more nails at her. She switches her attention toward him. She starts walking toward him as he screams for her to stop, unloading the whole strip into her. And like, the way he like, screams, no. stop. He's like, no, stop. <laughs> like, he's like, shoots her with the nail gun. He like immediately regrets and like, no, sorry, no, stop. Man, poor Eric. And I love the way he says it too, because he's like screaming it. No. And like, no. you can hear he the, the, the fear. sheer fear in his voice. It's. He's like, I fucked up. I, David, you should have taken the crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> so I should have never shot her. But she continues coming. 
He holds out his hand once again, just for her to split it in half Mm. with the bar. She continues to take the bar to his head, holding it up one last time, but David shoots her in her arm clean off. He loads the gun back up as Natalie tr- uh, turns around to face him and calls out to him into her regular voice. She questions why is he hurting her as she moves closer to him, sobbing that her face hurts. She lies down on him, crying out and wondering why her face hurts before dying in his lap. Eric starts to laugh maniacally before it transitions into sobs. And this is fucked up because this demon just literally lets her go just to die. <laughs> right. Like, well, you're done. You're useless. You have no arms. Yeah. So what, are you, <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> what if the demon is like, wow, you really disarmed her? Yeah, too corny. Too corny. Yes. Yes, it would have yeah. been. Never mind. David lim- <laughs> uh, limps Eric out of the house, sitting him down and leaning him on the on the car, his car tire, not wanting Eric to die on him. But he's at a point of just giving up. He's done. But he doesn't want to become the devil's bitch. David agrees to finally do what he needs to do, willing to kill his sister to save himself and Eric. He pours gasoline all over the cabin, stopping um, over Mia's hole before continuing to pour more gasoline on top of it. He sparks the lighter, apologizing to her and that he loves her. As he's about to drop the lighter, she begins to sing the lullaby from their childhood. With tears in his eye, he looks over at their picture displayed on the wall, mouthing the rest of the words of the song. He sobs that he can't do this. A lightning bolt strikes the tree outside, catching it on fire. He jets out to the shed where he becomes a Frankenstein MacGyver by making his own defibrillator. He goes back outside to dig up a gravesite to bury Mia. He opens up the hatchet door and turns on his flashlight before heading downstairs in, into the basement. The box cutter on the counter is there one second, and the next second, it's not. He's, his name is whispered alongside murderer and coward. He continues walking toward the door, but they're, cr- they're crashing all around him. Checking around his surroundings, the door slams in front of him. He gathers his courage and heads inside. I love that he isn't panicked though he's scared but he's he's not panicked he's still pretty calm i'm surprised he even went down there i was like i would never fucking go down there (laughs) i was like i'll just lock you in here if i'm not going to be able to kill you i'll get help once the rain goes away (laughs) but you're staying down there Eh, pretty fair (laughs) yeah Inside, the ground is flooded and Mia isn't anywhere in sight. He goes to a pond in the corner, but doesn't see anything inside the water. When he turns around, Mia comes flying towards him with the box cutter. He puts his arm out to shield his face. She begins to slash at his arm and throw him across the room. He hits the wall multiple times before being drowned by her. He cries out uh, for her to let him go before he starts shifting out of consciousness. Eric hits her head um, with a pipe. The box cutter is stabbed in his side. He pulls it out from his stomach, stumbling over the steps as David sedates Mia. He checks on Eric, who weakly says that he missed him before dying. Oh. David allows him to float in the body of water before going to the next phase, dressing up his sister in a red dress and placing a bag over her head and burying her alive. Why why dress her up? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that was a completely weird moment. Maybe because she was like, in a nightgown, but like still, like what? Why would you do that? Like, that was, that just felt odd. I bring you out here. Let me uh, give you an extra. Layer Let me put a dress on you. Let me give you a, a cool dress for the final act. <laughs> I mean, it was cool. Yeah. 
As he's burying her, she wakes up calling out to him. She cries out that she can't move or breathe, screaming for him to help her. He stops covering the hole for a moment before shouting out that, that this isn't her and he continues to fill up the hole. She stops and her voice shifts asking him why does he hate her, knowing that he does, sharing the examples about him leaving home, allowing her to be alone with their sick mother. She was also only a child who was forced to lie, continuing that every time their mother screamed his name, she would tell her that he was coming to see her like he promised, but he never did. David pleads and begs for the deadite to stop this. She calls out that she knows mother hates him and she waits for him in hell. She begins to maniacally laugh as he tells her to shut up and continues to bury her. She hyperventilates as he covers her face with more and more dirt. He cries on top of his sister's grave that he should have been there for her. Mia's heart heartbeat is fading rapidly as the fire on, on the branch burns out and the whole area goes still. He begins digging the grave back up, pulling her out of the grave and taking his makeshift defibrillator, stabbing it into her chest and forcing the wattage, pleading for his sister to come back to him, trying one last time, but the battery runs out of juice. He pulls the needles out from her chest and pulls the Ziploc off of her head, rubbing her head and whispering that she's at peace now. The light dies out as he covers up Mia's body with a blanket. He starts walking away, but she calls out to him. When he turns around, she's standing up. What? <laughs> mm. My main gripe in this movie is this part. I think this part this is just one? so dumb. Yeah. That's fair. I'm just not a fan of this p- portion right here, but it's okay because it quickly makes up for it with this final act. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he runs over to her and hugs her as she sobs that it was so horrible. He reassures her that it's all over now, embracing her. She thanks him for not leaving her. Cut to Mia putting on his boots. He tells her to wait wait there while he goes in, inside the uh, cabin to grab his car keys. David goes inside the cabin, grabbing them off the kitchen table. He's about to walk out, but stops to grab the photo of all of them. Um, or all of him and his friends and his sister. Right. All he group. doesn't notice the, that dead-eyed Eric is standing right behind him. So he gets stabbed in the neck with the pair of pliers that were used to open up the Necrocomicon. Wow. He pulls them out of his neck and stumbles to the wall as he coughs and chokes on his blood. Eric watching him the entire time. David makes it over to Mia. She runs over to him trying to to help him, but he yells for her to go. Eric walks out hissing and she notices him. David forces her out of the door, handing her the keys in the process. He tells her to get out of there while slamming the door shut and locking it. She bangs and screams on the door, calling for him. He sits with his back to the door and kicks the butt of the gun over over to him. Eric smirks that he's coming. And I like the way he said he's, he's coming. <laughs> David shoots the gas can, causing it to explode and engulf the cabin in flames. And here's the fucking kicker. He wouldn't have done that. He would have survived. He, or he, he would have not died and been the fifth person to die. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have been the fifth person. The demons cry out as it burns, leaving Mia there to watch her life go up in flames. She notices the necklace that her brother gave her on the ground, picking, beginning to cry as she holds it and out in her hand. A drop of blood falls on, on top of it. She looks up as it begins to rain blood all, all around her. The abomination forces its hand out of the earth, grabbing her and burning her skin. I love how immediate it is. Yeah. Like, we are not so wasting cool. any time here. Like, all right, she's, death, I'm out. 
Exactly. Like the, like in, a like, genie we're not, in the bottle. It's so nice. We're not seeing anything <laughs> that is like leading up to it or anything quite like that. Um, I do love the camera work here, how the camera turns oh, yeah. on its side to allow the hand to pop up, which is also fantastic because it is a callback to Evil Dead, the poster. Right, yeah, yeah. So amazing. Well, that's a good call out. I, do, yeah. I, I haven't even mentioned it, but there's a lot of times where the camera like tilts sideways. It just yes. feels so uh, just good about like things are tilted and not normal and it doesn't feel normal and they use the camera work that way as well which is cool i love the rain the blood rain oh the blood rain phenomenal phenomenal add on to like everything such a great way to end it absolutely she screams as she pulls herself away it completely unearths uh, unearths itself and i love the way it's like crawling out of there and it's back is like yeah. all fucking spiny oh it's gross mia uh, makes a run for it hopping in the car as it crawls toward her she tries to get the keys into the ignition but drops them the abomination standing right right beside her before busting through the window it grabs at her leg burning her skin she opens the passenger door and falls out on the other side, looking over toward the hole where Grandpa was found. She decides to crawl through it, waiting to see if the abomination is following her. It appears at the entrance of the hole, calling out to her in a raspy voice. She rushes into the shed through the open hole, waiting to see if the demon will come in and follow her. Looking around for a potential weapon, about about to pick up a machete, but chooses the chainsaw instead. It is hmm. out of fuel. And she quickly looks around for the chainsaw gas. Like like a fucking boss, she pushes her body weight on the <laughs> shelf, causing it to fall into her hands. She pours the gas into the chainsaw, and she's not about and she's not able to get the cat back on it. It slips out of her hand, and she's about to chase it down, but the abomination is watching her through the hole. How long have you been there, Abomination? She moves uh, back as it starts coming towards her. Mia kicks over a piece of the shelf as she crawls behind it, waiting a moment before she tries for the chainsaw. The Abomination pushes the blade on the, of the machete into the shelf from uh, the other side. This... Such a cool moment. Oh my god. It is such a fantastic moment. And I love... How just absolutely downright intense it is. Oh, yes. I've it's only just seen so intense. One other movie do this. And I'm sure there's other movies that have done this before, but um, I don't know if you've seen The Raid, um, where yeah. one of the guys is hiding behind the wall as well, and he's just seeing if there's someone behind the wall, and he's as much ready to keep going through. But it's not as brutal as this. But it's a great moment because it reminds me so much of that cool thing. But the camera movement and how it kind of goes with her and kind of shows her like pretty much cornered. And yeah. it kind of has that one thing where like it slices her a little bit. It's like, ah, damn. You should have taken it's the lovely. machete and the chainsaw. Why not just pick two weapons? <laughs> true, true. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely should have. <laughs> Man. What a fucking scene. She moves back as it starts coming towards her. Mia kicks over a piece of the shelf as she crawls behind it. Waiting a moment before she tries for the chainsaw, the abomination pushes the blade of the machete into the shelf from the other side. She tries to move back, the blade connecting with her knee. The demon slowly pulls it back 
back out of her skin. And I love how you can hear the squeak as it's moving out from the wood. She elbows the other side of the shed, forcing the wood to open up. The demon doesn't quit and continues forcing the blade into her arm. She forces the wall open enough so she can escape. After grabbing the chainsaw, she goes to hide behind the car for a moment to try and start the chainsaw. The abomination comes out of the shed and starts walking towards her. She hides underneath the car and tries to start the chainsaw by pulling the cord. Finally able to get it to start, she slices at the at the uh, ankles of the abomination. It tries to crawl after her, but it doesn't. But it isn't able to grab her. So it pushes the car over, and she tries to roll out of the way, but it smashes down on her hand. She pushes and bangs on the car while screaming, trying her best to free her arm. She pulls, almost detaching her her hand from her wrist for the from the sheer pressure of it all. The abomination crawls around the corner. Mia tries to grab the chainsaw as it keeps coming towards her, claiming that she's going to die there. She calls out um, that she's had enough of this shit, and she decides to rip her fucking wrist away from her hand. Now free, she gets up and grabs the chainsaw, waiting for that fucker to get closer. It makes it in front of her, looking at her, commenting that it will feast on her soul. She puts her nub into the handle of the chainsaw with a let's go moment of quote unquote, feast on this motherfucker. It takes an amazingly satisfying chainsaw to the face. She splits it in half, causing its body to submerge and melt right back into hell. She drops the chainsaw as the demonic whales feel the air. The blood rain stops almost in an instant. Mia goes back toward the cabin to pick up her necklace, putting it around her neck before limping into the sunrise. Book still on the ground shutting itself closed then credits and damn that last scene phenomenal the feast on this and then you get the wide shot of her just for like 30 seconds into her face like she is going ham with that chainsaw for a hot minute blood all the red the chaos all of it it's just ugh and then she has that sigh of relief and you get another wide shot of her in front of the house is burning on fire with all the rain around her and it just stops. Ugh. It's beautiful. So good. It's fucking beautiful. What an but I got some motherfucking movie facts for us here. Movie facts? <gasps> <gasps> when the broken necklace is found outside of the cabin, it can be seen resting in the shape of a skull just like the original The Evil Dead from 1981. Hmm. Hmm. The film was originally rated NC-17 until it was toned down to an an R rating. According to the director, he and Sam Raimi were always willing to keep the NC-17 rating since the original film has it. However, the studio required that it have an R rating in order to have a wide release. Hmm. Director Fide Alvarez initially kept things ambiguous and said that due to several inconsistencies with the previous Evil Dead trilogy, the movie could be either a remake or a late sequel. However, Sam Raimi, Rob Tabard, and Bruce Campbell later claimed that this film was a sequel, set in the same continuity as the original trilogy. Their plan was to make another sequel starring Mia, Jane Levy, and a sequel to Army of the Darkness starring Campbell as Ash in one final crossover film where 
where Ash and Mia would team up to fight Deadites. Universal Studios eventually passed on the sequels and redeveloped Army of Darkness 2 into Ash vs. Evil Dead, together with Raimi, Tabert, and Campbell. When that show was canceled after three seasons and Campbell retired from the role, all further plans were scrapped and the Evil Dead 2013 sequel was reworked as Evil Dead Rise instead. Interesting. I do feel like we will see Bruce Campbell back. I think he wants in this role too. In the, as Ash, think eventually, so? I think so. Probably, maybe. Let's do a couple more. This film was banned in Ukraine for its extreme violence. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Just let's there. <laughs> let's do a juicy one. Let's get a good one. Uh, the movie was shot over three months. They started in April 11th and they went until July 12th. God damn. They must have had a lot of like fuck ups when it came to their practical effects then. Because well, that's yeah. a long time. I mean, <laughs> for its budget too, they probably had to do a. I mean, they still have a good amount of budget, but that's still a small budget for what they were able to accomplish. I'm sure they had to rework a lot of things, like you said, a lot of probably the practical effects, a lot of the kills, a lot of the blood. I just know from like doing interviews with doing this show is that blood is really hard to get right. And sometimes it takes forever to reset. Yes. So I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that had to do, but three months is still not terrible, but like it is a long process, especially for a film this size. Uh, I agree. Shout out for that box office, though. They made their money's back. They made the work worth it. So that's yeah. always a good thing to see. That they definitely did. Park Chan Wook was the mm. original t- director for this film, wild. but he turned it down. Mm. Damn. Let's do one last one. I thought this one was interesting here. Back when the remake of the original film was in development in 2003, Ashton Kutcher and Marlon Wayans were both considered to play the role of Ash Williams. Interesting. That would have been that would have definitely been interesting. Yeah, different movie for sure. I think that definitely would have been interesting yeah. for sure. But oh my god. We want to know what you think of Evil Dead 2013 because this movie is an absolute banger. You can let us know either on our Twitter at nightlight underscore pod or our Instagram at nightlight podcast, or you can let us know on Discord as well. And we can have a full blown discussion. All of these links are going to be inside of our show notes as well. But the next film that we are going to be covering is going to be none other than a very well-hated movie by a oh. lot of people, Quarantined. <laughs> I Parker? haven't revisited this movie nah. since maybe 2009. I want to so, say when I watched it, I liked it, but I haven't seen it in such a long time. Well, that's because no you didn't watch Wreck first. That's true. So now that's that you've got the context of Wreck, I'll, re- I, I, uh, I'll rewatch Wreck too. I'll make it a double feature. Yeah, you may as well. Why not? Yeah. not? But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation as someone who would actually enjoy the show. Hope you liked our new intro, too. We didn't have an outro. 
couldn't afford it. <laughs> just kidding. I just didn't want to write one. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider giving us a five-star rating as it does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, you can head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a what? K. And remember, everybody, don't forget... You need it as you traverse through scenes of inexplicable horrors. But don't worry, there's a couple of brave knights to assist you ghouls in the afterlife. Your tour guides, Prince and Freddy, will ensure you don't leave with any missing limbs, demonically possessed, stalked by a masked killer, or devoured by cannibals. So, hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelop you as we welcome you to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm Prince, also known as Head Knight. I'm Freddy, also known as Nighty Knight. And this month is going to be all about